Well, welcome to all of you again in here in the sanctuary in Fairfax, in the Fellowship Hall, worshiping uh, online. It truly is a privilege again to be opening God's Word. Over the last eight weeks, uh, we've been in John 17, and you've heard from a lot of the pastors. And what we've been trying to do over the last eight weeks is to hear the heart of Jesus for us as he talks to the Father about us. At the beginning of this series, we referenced a book called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. And, and in that book, you may remember that we pointed out this question uh, that he asked in this book. He says, um, you know, what would it be like if we could hear Jesus praying aloud for us in the next room? And then he says, few things would calm us more deeply. And so let's pray right now that we would hear Jesus's heart for us so that we would be calmed as we hear his word. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to this text again, we pray that you would give us fresh eyes and fresh hearts uh, to hear your voice. Lord, I ask that I might hear your voice and that my friends listening today might hear the voice of Jesus through any words that you give me by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Now, some of you may be thinking, haven't we read these verses before? Why have we read them so many times? We read them this week, we read them the week before, and we read them even the week before. Some of you are like, I can't answer the same question in my community group anymore. What word stood out to me in these seven verses? Why would we possibly spend so much time camping on this section? Well, well for obvious reasons, some things like, well, these are the words of Jesus. This is his prayer, so it's important to do. Or also, there, there are so many beautiful truths in this passage that we want to just take time to, to mine and to dwell on. I will point out, there was a pastor in the 1600s, one dude by the name of Anthony Burgess. Get this, he preached 145 sermons on John 17. So calm down, just eight of them, right? Can you imagine being in that uh, service, 145 sermons on John 17? So stay with me because I do think there are many more truths for us to slow down and to hear the voice of Jesus here. As you heard these seven verses, either this week or the week before or the week before, it's the same question. What words stood out to you as we listened to Jesus pray? Perhaps in these seven verses, some of the words that stand out to you are words like belief or glory or oneness or love, and all those are good and true words. But as I've thought about this text for weeks, the words that stick out to me are, ready? Even as. Even as. In the Greek, it's, it's just one word, kathos. And before I tell you why kathos is my favorite word in these seven verses, I want us to dwell a little bit again on the relationship first between God and Jesus, and then second today, we'll talk about the relationship between God and us, okay? So first up, relationship number one between God and Jesus. Look again with me at verse 24. Jesus prayed, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, 
to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Three times in these seven verses, the love of God for the Son is mentioned. Three times in these seven verses, the love of God the Father for Jesus is mentioned. It's really important. And we see uh, a few descriptions about the nature of their relationship, even in this verse. Notice that the Father gives people and glory to the Son. And the Father welcomes the Son into his presence. And the Father loves the Son before the very foundation of the world. That's a compelling and a beautiful description of the intimate relationship between God the Father and God the Son. One commentator that I was reading this week described it this way, says, no higher love is possible than the love which the Father cherishes toward his Son. This love is deep-seated, as great as is the heart of God itself. It is also as intelligent and purposeful as it is the mind of God. It is tender, vast, and infinite. I was thinking back of just a few places in the gospel where we see this beautiful relationship demonstrated, and the one that kept coming back to mind was the baptism of Jesus. Do you remember that? In Matthew 3, 17, when Jesus is being baptized by John, we hear the Father say, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. In the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, God wanted the world to know about his infinite worth, his unparalleled beauty, and the matchless significance of Jesus. These are the words in Matthew 3:17 of a doting, approving father who can't hide his pride and joy at seeing his son begin one of the most significant chapters in his life and in human history. And on the verge of Jesus' public mission that, that he and the Father had planned before the creation of the world, literally the Father is overflowing with pleasure and delight for the Son. Don't miss the beautiful dance, the beautiful relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that is unique to Christianity. Now stay here for just a minute. Perhaps you have seen or experienced human relationship in your life with some similar dynamics to the one between God the Son and God the Father. I can think of many examples. When, when a child is born to a parent, you can't wait for friends and family to meet your new baby. So what do you do? You, you print up a card and you, you send it out to everybody announcing the name and the, and the birth and the weight. You're celebrating the birth of your son because you're so excited. Or think about when your son or daughter makes a great play in sports or when they just crush it in their musical, or they don't, or they graduate from college. You can't wait to share that moment on Instagram because you are delighting and celebrating in your children and you want to do that publicly. 
Or even think about that when a, when a friend gets a promotion at work, when they receive an award, when they reach a birthday milestone, what do you say? Let's get together and let's celebrate. That's what's happening in this relationship. I'm, I, I love these moments of celebration in human relationships. I'm a sucker for them on social media um, all the time. Uh, one that I saw recently, you may have seen this as well because apparently millions did. Uh, do you remember the Stanford professors that received the Nobel Prize and they got the news in the middle of the night, their neighbors and friends, and they were able to reach one of them and they weren't able to reach the other. And so the neighbor who heard that they had won the Nobel Prize woke his friend up in the middle of the night. He walks across, rings on his doorbell, and he wakes him up in the middle of the night because he can't wait to celebrate with his friend. Paul, you won the Nobel Prize. And then there was like silence and then, wow. <laughs> or, or the one that just brings me to tears I don't know if you've seen this, but millions of people have as well. There's a story of a father giving his son a, a, a baseball bat. He had asked for it for his birthday, didn't think he would get it. They're, they're walking uh, out to uh, the van, and then his dad says, hey, go check in the back of, the, uh, of the, the trunk there. So they go around, and he's videoing it, and, and he pulls out this baseball bat, and you just begin to see this kid, uh, tears coming down his eyes and weeping and shaking. And the dad looks at him, don't cry, you're going to make me cry. And he says, I love you, I love you, I didn't forget about you, I want to see some home runs, I love you. And then the amazing thing in this story, one year later, the son hits a home run with that bat in the Little League Championship game. And even more amazing, the dad is outstanding in center field and the ball comes right to him and he catches it and he's yelling out on video, I got it, yeah, I got it. And so they have this news interview between this father and this son and they're talking about this moment. And then on this news story, the father says, this is my son right here, and I love him. And he kisses him on the forehead. We see that joy and that celebration in the best human relationships. And that's what's happening between God the Father and God the Son. As we hear Jesus talking to the Father in heaven, we hear the intimate delight in their relationship. And once we begin to understand how much the Father loved the Son, then we can begin to understand the significance of the preposition even as kathos. Relationship number two, God and us. Look at the end of verse 23. Jesus is praying and he says, you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Jesus is praying that the world would know that the apostles and future believers, you and I, would know that we are loved even as God loves Jesus. <laughs> According to some Greek dictionaries, kathos means just as, in comparison to, to the degree that, in as much as. 
So in an amplified translation, amplified translation, you could say this, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them just as in comparison to, to the degree that in as much as you have loved me. What is implied throughout all of the Bible is clear here. For those who have faith in Jesus Christ, friends, you are an adopted child of God. This is what John writes earlier in his gospel, John 1.12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Some of you need to hear that and to meditate on that truth today. God has welcomed us into his fellowship as his own sons and daughters by virtue of our union with Jesus, and we are a part of his family by God's grace. And once in, we are there forever. In Jesus' prayer to the Father, he is declaring that God's love for his adopted children is no different and not lesser than his love for his only begotten son, that all the joy, all the delight, all of the pleasure that Jesus receives is offered to you and to me. The heart of Jesus in the prayer of Jesus, get this, is not for us to show God how much we love him. No, his prayer is this, that we would know that he loves us even as he loves Jesus. It's striking to me what Jesus did not pray right here. He didn't pray for his disciples to love him more. He, he didn't specifically, he prayed for unity, but he didn't pray right now about them loving one another, but rather that they would know how much the Father loves them. Loving God and loving one another are things, obviously, that the Bible and Jesus teaches, but they flow from the love of God for you. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. <laughs> Why can we love others? Because we are experiencing the love of the Father for us. So why do you think Jesus prays for us to know how much the Father loves us? I think it's this. It's because it's so important for us to first know God's love for us. What do you think is more important to me as a father? That my kids show me love, important, or that my kids know that I love them, that I celebrate them, that I delight in them, that they bring me joy. And don't get me wrong, I stumble and I struggle and I get frustrated like every parent. But listen, parents, let's celebrate our kids and let them feel and know how much we love them. It's our prayer that they would experience this love even in this church family, in this church community. Kids, you are loved and you matter. And you matter in this church because you are loved by our heavenly Father. And all of us 
in the family of God are His children, and we need to know, really know, how much the Father loves us. That's what Jesus is praying for. Now, I think if we're honest, I think some of us might be struggling with that concept. Some of us might be thinking, how could God love me? If He really knew what I was like, if He really knew the ways that I, I don't delight in my kids, how I've failed as a parent, how I've failed as a son or a daughter, how I've failed as a friend, how I've failed as a colleague, if God could really see me, how could God love me if He knew me? I didn't hit the home run. I didn't win the Nobel Prize. Will God still love me? And we stop and we think. We think about all of our angry outbursts just this week. We think about all the lust that we've nurtured this week, the addictions that we've fed, the words that we've uttered against our families and even our enemies, and how they, all these things can cause us to think, if God really knew me, he wouldn't love me. And we begin to shrink back, and we begin to hide from God. And we see that even in the beginning of the world, when Adam and Eve sinned, a brand new emotion entered the world, fear. And so when God walked into the garden looking for them and said, where are you? What did they do? They hid themselves and they were ashamed and they tried to cover that up with fig leaves. They were aware of their shortcomings, of their failure, and of their sin, and they tried to hide. Well, friends, good news. God sees you. He knows you, and he is more aware of the depths of sin in your life and in your heart than even you are. In the Westminster Children's Catechism, one of the questions that we've been working through in our family devotions, it kind of sounds a little like disturbing when you first hear it, because you ask the kids, you say, can you see God? Some of you may know the answer to this, right? <laughs> the answer, no, I cannot see God, but he always sees me. <laughs> and initially, that can kind of sound disturbing, but when you really understand it, it's actually comforting. He sees us. And so then the question is, if God sees me and he knows who I am, then how can he love me? I don't even let my friends and my family see who I really am because I'm afraid that they would love me. So how can I let God see me? But if he really does see me, then how can he love me? Does he just ignore my failures and my shortcomings and my sins? Does he just turn a blind eye to holy justice? How could God possibly love me? And the answer is whispered in the context of this story. Because if you read the next verse in the next chapter in John 18.1, we remember what is happening in this moment. John 18.1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Just like God went to the garden to find Adam and Eve and to clothe them, 
Jesus now is going to the garden to clothe us. This is when Judas would betray him, the soldiers would arrest him, and just one day later, he would be crucified on the cross and then rise again from the dead as our substitute. The only way that you and I can be loved by the Father is at the expense of Jesus. He is the true elder brother who gave up everything for us. Paul makes this clear in Romans 8, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, we are loved by God, hidden in Jesus. We are in union with Christ so that when the Father looks at us, he sees Jesus. He is delighted with us because he is delighted with Jesus. God's love is free, it is undeserved, and it is unmerited. And do you know what that means? It means that no beauty, no education, no achievement can make him love you any more. And it also means that no failure, no shame or stumble can make him love you any less because the basis of our acceptance <laughs> with God is the perfect son, Jesus Christ. So friends, what is greater than to know that we are loved even as Jesus. Do you realize that at this moment? God does not love you begrudgingly. God does not love you reluctantly. God doesn't love some future version of yourself, but he sees you, he knows you, and he loves you. And his love is not tempered with disappointment. It's not mitigated by our present sin. We are loved on the basis of grace and grace alone. This is the story of the Bible. Dane Ortland, who wrote Gentle and Lowly, tweeted this out this past week, and it hit me really hard in a good way, right in the soul. He summarized the Bible this way. God says, I created you so I could love you. We said, get lost. And he said, now I'm really going to love you. <laughs> and friends, perhaps many of us have even heard this this story before, perhaps many of us have, have wrestled with the theology of God's love, but we haven't really experienced the Father's love in this moment. It's one thing to believe it. It's another to really know God's love in the innermost parts of your soul. I, I've shared with you before that my grandmother uh, was an orphan, um, they immigrated here, and um, the, 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 my great-grandmother couldn't raise them, and so all the kids were, were split up into various uh, orphanages. And in this orphanage, she was desperate and dependent, hungering for someone to 
uh, trust to love her. She was never um, adopted. But one summer, while she was in high school, she was at a summer camp. And she began to think more about her relationship with God. And there was this teacher there, a lady by the name of Miss McCluskey, who was talking about God's love and knowing God in a real and in a personal way. And my grandmother said, I desperately wanted that. And in an interview before she died, this is what she said about that moment at that summer camp. She says, I always believed in God. It wasn't I didn't, that I didn't believe in God, but he wasn't real to me. You know, I had memorized the catechism and all those things, and I knew I wasn't good, but I knew I wasn't as bad as some others. <laughs> I knew there was a difference when I went to camp, and she was talking about how we can know Christ in a real and personal way, and that it was a gift, that eternal life was a gift, and we trusted him to take care of our sins. That's when I made a profession of faith in Christ, and it changed my life. It really did. It gave me a security that I didn't have coming up because I always felt like coming from the orphanage, I was different from other kids, and they wouldn't like me because I'm from the children's home. It gave me a sense of security, knowing I was special to the Lord, that he loved me enough to die for me and had a plan for my life, even though I didn't know what it was at the time. Friends, have you experienced that? Do you know that God the Father loves you even as he loves Jesus? I've tasted that in my life, and I want more of it. I want that for our church. I want us to know how much God the Father loves us and to show this city that perfect love casts out fear. I want it not just for me, not just for the church, but I want it for the world that God's love drives us to others. It's why we do things like the Thanksgiving offering. We want our church, our city, and our world to know that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes on him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, it's amazing to hear Jesus praying for us, praying for us to know that you love us even as you loved him. Father, I pray that we would walk in this truth, that we would be mindful of your amazing grace so that it would not only transform us, but it would transform our church, our city, and our world. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.